You're listening to the We Are Limerick podcast. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt, and join me each week as we meet the people of Limerick who are making it the place it is today. You can keep up to date with all Limerick news by following the hashtag Keeping Limerick Posted across all social media channels or visiting limerickpost.ie. I'm now joined in the studio by Green Party councillor Brian Ledden. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Keen. How are you here. getting on? Great, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, had a good culture night on Friday night and ex- an extended one last night. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, a lovely morning on the river, too. Yes, just off the water. Up. Yeah, we were coaching. So, we have a good group there. And uh, it's early in the season and uh, just putting them through their paces now. And, you know, it's an awakening for them. They're figuring out what it's all about. How long so, are you with St. Michael's Rowing Club? I joined St. Michael's in 1995. Um, a good while ago. <laughs> yeah, so I, I rode as a junior um, for, you know, a number of years. And then I did a small bit of intermediate rowing. Then I disappeared for a while and tried other things. And then uh, about 10 years ago, I wandered back and just got involved in the coaching side of things. Nice one. And the odd bit of rowing myself, uh, you know. What, what's it like taking up that coaching role? It's fantastic. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I, you know, St. Michael's, it's a great community and um, everybody who's down there wants to build that community and uh, out of that, good rowing will will come, you know. Yeah. Uh, so so people just pull, you know, in, in all kinds of ways, they pull together, you know, and uh, for me, it's it's coaching the novice squad uh, and I really like it. Like, so it's, it's adult beginners. Traditionally, St. Michael's wouldn't have had a novice squad. Um, you know, it, it was something we just started to do in the last few years. We realized that there's a lot of people, young adults, move into the city. They don't have a community. They're looking for a sport. We would see athletic potential in them, yeah. you know, and, uh, and you know, it just made sense then to develop this novice thing. Novice rowing would have been the kind of preserve of the universities for you know hundreds of years but uh now uh you know clubs like st michael's community clubs are getting into it as well See, rowan wouldn't be a massive thing in every county like you know because not everybody has a river like the shannon we have, through, we have in the city a side. fantastic river yeah it's really great and um you know there's six rowing clubs in limerick you know it's fantastic and they're going like. yeah and <laughs> um yeah it's you know uh, st michael's goes back to 1901 so we're nearly 120 years old uh, Shannon and Limerick Bow Club are there for a bit longer and at Lunkard uh, and then you have UL and you have Castle Connell then cool. we're a new club you know we're doing good good stuff at the moment but yeah. so they're our you know probably you know principal competitor locally at the moment you know and uh, yeah yeah we have to keep ahead of them <laughs> you know and uh, I introduced you as a Green Party councillor, but you're, yeah. you're new enough to politics. Yes, yeah. But, but you've yeah. been involved uh, actively in the community for a while now. But uh, what made you choose to get into politics? Uh, I was a very reluctant candidate. So the choice uh, was made for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose, you know, my family, as you know, would have been involved in local politics for, yeah. you know, a long, long time. And it's something I would have thought about as a youngster. But... Uh, you know, I, I I knew a lot about it. I, I knew, you know, the pitfalls of local politics too, and it kind of figured it wasn't really for me. It's a tough job. Yeah, yeah I'm just learning now. But <laughs> but you know, I I had kind of made that decision that you know I wouldn't follow that path. Yeah. Uh, but I think when you grow up in a house like ours, you do have a, a kind of 
an understanding about how the city works or, or perhaps doesn't work and uh, you know you, you just have a, an inclination or an instinct to get involved in things not necessarily politics but um, my interest in the city probably led me to you know getting involved in a, a whole host of things and yeah. that in turn led back to uh, politics which I didn't really expect but and, uh, how, did, how did the Green Party <coughs> go about or was were you always involved with the Green Party no no uh, I joined about two and a half years ago um, uh, I would have always have been interested in environmental issues way back in in the 1990s I, I studied engineering in, in UL but uh, I, I my final year project was on photovoltaics and uh, wind power and then went off and studied a, a master's degree in renewable energy systems technology so I think probably at a very like probably long before most people I was looking at renewable energies you know and uh, so and I think when you're on a course like that you meet people who are in the broader environmental movement or, or people who have an interest in environmental issues so and you know th- that was it you know imagine a lot of the lecturers would have had an influence as well of yeah huge huge influence uh people like tony k he's retired from ul now but uh, an absolutely brilliant lecture uh you know an environmentalist from you know way back from the 70s you know that kind of first push of environmentalism in you know during the the oil crisis of 1973 so people like tony would you know that's where they're uh where they come from and then it was in the 1990s that i was influenced by him yeah. i suppose in in ul uh, he was my supervisor for my project and he recommended the, the master's degree as well. And so, uh, you mentioned he's an environmentalist, but uh, surely we should all be environmentalists seen as it's yeah. what we're all living in, you know? Yeah. And then uh, myself and yourself uh, met at a protest on Friday, the Fridays for Change. Yes. Organised yeah. by... Seriously. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of other school kids. And yeah. It was kind of yeah. a global movement, really, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. it's. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing, you know, to see you know the reports from around the world like millions and millions of primarily kids just you know taking it upon themselves to get this message across that we're we're just not doing enough you know to combat what is a you know it's the greatest catastrophe humanity has ever faced it really is you know we're what we're talking about with, with climate change is you know if the global the mean global temperature uh goes over you know two degrees then you're looking at a complete collapse in civilization so it's that serious and we're on that's what we're on course for you know so you know make no mistake about it this is really really serious and the kids i think speech is mentioned like by 2030 it'll be irreversible yeah yeah so 2030 is considered a tipping point you know if if we don't seriously mitigate uh emissions by then uh, and and reduce emissions then uh there won't be a whole lot we can do you know and then you've got the what you know all the the scenarios and the studies show that uh you you just get a complete breakdown you know you, you get a runaway effect you know of in, so you get quickly increasing temperatures and then you get the uh the geopolitical issues that come with that you get the natural disasters that come with that you get the you know forced migration of populations um and that's uh that would be a very very chaotic world and then uh as an environmentalist uh how did it feel to see i think there was nearly a thousand people at that march yeah 
It was brilliant, brilliant. And, you know, the kids in school are learning about this stuff, um, you know, so they know an awful lot more than, say, their parents do, yeah. you know, and uh, um, they're they're rightly concerned because they're looking at the timelines here and they're saying, well, okay, they're still going to be young, you know, when, you know, things get really bad. Um, Greta Thunberg in Sweden, you know, I think she... Uh, what she's done is quite amazing, you know, in in just being the figurehead for this global movement or just getting it going, you yeah. know, like we all knew there was a problem there, but uh, people who were envir- involved in environmental activism were finding it very difficult to get the message through. But Greta was so clear and intelligent and, and articulate um, and she she was relevant because she's a you know young person, you yeah. know, and, and she was pragmatic. She said, okay, well, how do I how do I actually change things? So she decided to stop going to school. Uh, and then that resonated then with obviously a lot of other kids. And, and it built up to this, you know, one year on, it's millions and millions of kids. It must be uh, tough enough for them to get politicians to listen when they're not old enough to vote. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, that's what I suppose where the, the strike idea comes in. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's a kind of civil disobedience, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's just forcing those in positions of power and influence to actually take the issue seriously. And th- that isn't happening yet. You know, there are some good moves being made, but we have so much to do. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be absolutely convinced that uh, the people that are in control of our, you know, societies really grasp just how serious the issue is so so what changes would you like to see made <laughs> what are the bigger ones that could be changed as quick as possible like? so well ultimately we have to reduce emissions yeah and um our lives our lifestyles uh are in the western world particularly are very emissions heavy you know so reducing emissions you know you break that down into lots of different ways like you know we we fly all over the place and there's a huge carbon footprint associated with flying driving of course how we plan and develop our society will uh, dictate what our emissions per capita are and um you know so the the smart thing to do is to plan and develop our cities and our countryside as well uh well you know such that they're their carbon output is, is much lower than it currently is. So when we met, uh, I think it was about a month ago at this stage to talk about coming on this podcast. Yes, yeah. Uh, I Sorry for uh, uh, <laughs> deferring it. So nah, long, but, we were yeah. both busy, I think, but um, I passed you on my bike and yes. I had given up my car about a month <laughs> yeah, before. Yeah, I remember you telling it's, me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's been two months now and I think I've had six or seven journeys in a car. So that's carpooling with someone uh-huh. using the go car car share thing yeah or else uh just getting a lift to a match we'll say yeah but um i, I don't really miss the car that much yeah i'm, I'm the same every day yeah. you know i actually I, I gave up my car a couple of years ago and you came here on a coke bike i cycled yeah. up here yeah and um you know I, I gave up my car a few years ago and it actually wasn't primarily for environmental reasons it was because it was just didn't make sense to own a car when yeah. you when you live in a city you know, and most of the things you do are within, you know, a short distance of each other, uh, then, you know, and like I needed the car now and again, for sure. But I found 
more and more so that I was going to, you know, to the car and turning it on and the battery was dead. And I realized this makes no sense. I'm paying a lot for a tax and insurance and the odd parking uh, fine. And, you know, and then I kind of thought, you know, let's try it, you know, let's, let's give up the car and uh, see how it goes. And, um, it was interesting. I actually thought that it would be a significant, uh, inconvenience or a burden, uh, but a sensible financial decision as well as a, a kind of an environmental one. But, uh, I was quite surprised. I found myself just becoming a lot more organized about, you know, how I get around, uh, and, um, the stress of owning a car was gone, yeah. you know? And uh, I was the same, actually, because I have Breezy, the dog that's with us here in okay. the studio. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm heading home to Waterford, say, um, I didn't know how I'd get him down there, but Irish Rail are dog friendly. And I think I only paid about seven quid it's for a ticket. Brilliant. Like, it's brilliant. You know, and um, yeah. even in terms of driving and the costs, I yeah. think I was spending nearly 50 quid a week between petrol and uh-huh. parking. Yeah. And then when I started cycling, I realized my cycle home was just a minute longer <laughs> yeah, than yeah, a drive yeah, you know yeah. so it, it is mad and these little changes are things that people can make to uh, absolutely and you know it's making change make changes to our lives is actually quite difficult you've got to be quite motivated and you'll see the obstacles to doing that quite easily uh, and so you know people adapt though, they, they do adapt yeah. and they you know I suppose as as politicians and as legislators we have to you know use a bit of carrot and a bit of stick you know such that people change you know how they they live their lives um for the greater good and uh in like in limerick for example uh, of all journeys that are three kilometers or less 70 percent of those are done by car now three kilometers is walkable yeah. cyclable and obviously you know there's bus there too so we could fundamentally change how limerick works you know if we just nudged uh and and encourage people in the right direction you uh, know? one change we've seen is uh wickham street yes and i know it's been met with a bit of a backlash but mm-hmm. uh, i've noticed over the last couple of weeks the traffic hasn't been as bad there while i'm cycling home and as you said people adapt exactly, right yes, you know so they if that route's backed up yeah go somewhere else yeah. you know and half those people sitting in cars might think well okay maybe i will cycle because there is a cycle lane there now and i won't feel as uh you know um at risk yeah. if i do you know now i don't think one short cycle lane is going to change too many people's uh habits but we can do a lot more and then I do think we will get uh, we'll get by in. you have to start somewhere yeah. yeah yeah so what changes would you like to see happen around the city in terms of cycling infrastructure I think fundamentally you know it's a small city and it's reasonably flat so we can make Limerick quite uh you know easy to cycle around you know and there's some hard decisions to be made there because sometimes the space uh isn't there for cars and buses and bikes but we have to acknowledge that in a small city uh, and in, uh, you know, this area where we're trying to reduce emissions, cycling makes a lot of sense. So that's going to have to get priority, you know, and not and walking and absolutely walking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, so I mean, there's a hierarchy there, you know, walking is, is at the top of it, cycling, then public transport and then, you know, the private car. And uh, that's a total shift, you know, from where we c- currently are. Um, but 
you know, we can have an excellent city that, you know, people get around by walking and bike and public transport, but we just have to invest in it. And one thing that pops up is a discussion between complete pedestrianisation or a shared space. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to look at those on a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, if, if you go to Dublin and onto Grafton Street, you know, it's absolutely full of people. Would you put a cycle lane down there? I don't think so. You know, you, yeah. you'd say, okay, there's a parallel street and you direct cycle traffic that way. Uh, but then in situations where more plaza type situations like and to take the Dublin example again College Green you know that if that ever goes ahead it'll be an open plaza and I think yeah absolutely you know share space between bikes and pedestrians you know if you go to European cities that have you know done this over the last 30 or 40 years uh, they you know particularly the the northern European ones and German cities as well they, um, you know, the populations there understand that there are bikes whizzing around the place. So they're, they're watching out for them. Whereas if you cross the street in Limerick, you're not expecting a bike, you know? So there's that in Limerick, there's still that tension there between pedestrians and cyclists. And then between motorists and cyclists as well, it seems to be like, uh, I was cycling down O'Connell street yesterday and some woman was trying to pull into another lane while there was a cyclist right beside her without even yeah 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 just on my way in this morning someone cut out in front of me at the junction there you know yeah so uh, i think everybody kind of has to yeah just respect each other i think the one thing about driving i'm guilty of this myself you know when we get into cars they're so well designed like they're a cocoon of safety and um we we are absolutely safe in them almost you know especially in cities but it's outside of the car isn't necessarily safe and um that's an issue i mean suvs are famous for it you know the the visibility from the driver's seat mm-hmm. in an suv isn't great um so you know there's there's a personal responsibility on the the driver but you can't blame them too when cars are designed like that yeah. uh, and the streets are designed such that it's easy to drive around you know so that has to change. I like, suppose that our main thoroughfare doesn't even have a cycle lane on it. it no, says a lot, doesn't it? It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, like the only, if correct me if I'm wrong, the only cycle lane in the city is in the city centre is Wickham Street, right? The new one. It's the only one I can think of. Anyway. Um, yeah. Then you have the path out to UL, which is fantastic. Yeah. But you know, the vast, vast majority of our streets don't have cycle infrastructure. That's true. And then, um, so that you were part of the limerick cycling campaign yes and you're not anymore no i ste- still cycle I, yeah I, <laughs> I, I stepped away from it uh, i thought it was uh, very important uh, that the cycling campaign is uh, apolitical and seen to be apolitical and um so you know i'm very supportive of what they're doing i'm very proud to have been a founder of it uh, but there's fantastic people there they're yeah. great people who know a lot more than i do uh, about how we should change things and um very confident that they're going to you know bring the cam- campaign on uh, and uh, make it more and more influential in development of our streets and i think we first met at a livable limerick meeting and it's a similar story there as well you, yeah you were involved in that yeah i was i was involved there too yeah. and um that was a fantastic coming together of people from very different backgrounds but the, the common thread there was they were 
you know, very committed to improving Limerick City. Uh, so you had heritage people, transport people, people who... Business people. Business people yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, some fantastic uh, forward-thinking business people. And um, and there was a realisation there that, you know, th- there needs to be a, a coalescing of, uh, of ideas and skills and energy. And um, so, it, yeah, it was brilliant. I, I met some fantastic people and, uh, you know, that network uh, has, uh, I think, you know, started to become very, very, um, you know, effective, you know. And then, uh, so as part of Livable Limerick, they want to have people live in the city. <coughs> so uh, UL announced that it's mm-hmm. going to build a yes. campus in the city centre, yeah. which means there will probably be an extra 4,000 students or thereabouts. Is that the figure I they're giving? I think it's giving? around there. Yeah. a couple of thousand anyway. I mean, and can you imagine how, how that would change the city? Exactly. Do you know what's quite interesting? In the last few weeks, you know, the, the colleges are back, but more than any other September, I, I just see a lot more young people in the city centre and, uh, and it's very diverse. And I think we are becoming a livable city and people are starting to see Limerick as a place where they can live. Uh, obviously we have a lot to do a long way to go but there's such great stuff happening yeah. like Culture Night the other night was the vibe was just really I think brilliant I think you have you to know? give people a reason to stay in the city yeah, after 6pm yeah. yeah. and the conversations yeah. about Limerick now are, are so positive compared to what they were perhaps um, 10 years ago the, the conversations between Limerick people about Limerick yeah. you know whatever about people outside but so there there is a th- a sense of civic pride there a kind of a rediscovered sense but we always had it but now we're looking at the city centre as you know it's actually not a bad place it's quite nice and it's got great potential too yeah and there's a lot of nice nightlife is lovely here yeah you know? yeah it's cool yeah um but these students that do come here will need a place to live yeah and we have to provide accommodation for them somehow you know and um we have to make it uh, attractive for developers to build good high quality uh, accommodation for students for graduates for uh, people from all walks of life uh, and it should be by right in or near the city centre that's our challenge if we do that then we will be walking and cycling everywhere right yeah. whereas and if we do it all in the outskirts then of course people are going to drive and you'll have public transport issues like yeah. we still have at the moment yeah. but um for them to live in the city centre, that that means the city centre will have to change. Yep. Because mm-hmm. we need places to build. Yes. Yeah. Apartments and yeah housing. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. So the, <laughs> how do we uh, how do we accommodate that change? Yeah, like, you were a member of Antashka. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so and Antashka is it's got a very broad remit. You know, yeah. it, it's uh, on the one hand, it is about protecting heritage, um, but it also has a remit to. Uh, oversee sustainable planning and development now sustainable development is you know compact city center less car dependent you know so there is a balance there between the the interests of heritage and the interests of sustainable development um i don't think i don't don't think we're near a point where we need to be uh, leveling yeah. heritage buildings so that we can build high density apartment blocks. We're nowhere near that. Like the, there's so much vacant space in or near the city centre that could be utilised uh, for good quality high density accommodation. So, what, what areas are you thinking? 
yeah you'd, you'd have to look at the docks as being prime yeah. you know there's good development down there as it is you know if you go back to the early 90s and steamboat key and and then other developments after that um they're you know probably not uh to you know the standard we would build now yeah but you know they they're we certainly can go further down there um you're over there by the park canal there's great potential for development um and there's lots of sites uh isolated sites and infill sites around the city as well and all well within walking distance yeah, of the city absolutely center. yeah yeah it's just that i find some people when i chat to them they they feel as if the docks is out of the city you know but it is literally no, a two three minute walk away from well where uh, we are yeah exactly yeah <laughs> you know yeah no it's it's not out of the city at all i mean uh, like you know dolan's pub is down there and people often say oh dolan's is too far away we're not going there but um no it's a huge it's already a, a large residential area and um it can be uh, you know a more significant one no doubt about that you have the green park the old green park race course as well uh there should be a conversation about what happens there um and you have uh you have a lot of uh property levels in the estates like the old sink estates as we'd call them my ross and south hill there's a question there should they be redeveloped and i would say well yeah probably you know but we got to do it right and even in terms of those areas uh there's been mention of a tram line for limerick what, what would you think of that as a, a green party member um well absolutely pro public transport but you have to be sensible and, and reasonable you know like can we afford yeah. that uh that kind of infrastructure um you know, if you if Limerick City had two hundred thousand people in the same uh, you know footprint that it has now, then you'd probably say, okay, you know, light rail looks like it might be possible. Um, but in a low density city like Limerick is, low population and low density, uh, bus is probably going to be you know the the more uh, feasible public transport. Yeah. That, that's not to rule out light rail. There's, you know, there's the Limerick Shannon uh, Metropolitan Area Transport Strategy is underway at the moment. So they're consulting with the key stakeholders and uh, including Limerick Cycling Campaign, thankfully. And um, uh, but out of that, you know, that'll set a 20 year vision for Limerick in terms of development of infrastructure. Um and uh, it will look at the national planning framework and, you know, where Limerick is trying to get to and it'll try and fit in the best uh, infrastructure. Uh, and that really should be mostly public transport infrastructure, whether it's bus or, or light rail or heavy rail. It could be heavy rail there too, you know. I'd love to see a rail link to uh, Shannon, for example. Uh, I think that would do wonders for both yeah. Limerick and Shannon. At the airport, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Recently, we had Stephen Kinsla on for a podcast and he mm -hmm. spoke about a, a discussion being needed for what Limerick's skyline yeah. would look like yeah. in the future. Myself and Stephen had a head-to-head -head on yeah. Twitter. All right. This. <laughs> so, but no, uh, we're probably not too far removed uh, or too far apart. Um, yeah, I think if you're looking at compact growth uh, and you're looking at, uh, you know, a large population in a small area then the natural conclusion there is that height you know is is you need to start building up right um 
definitely wouldn't be against that. You know, I think uh, that's that's sensible. But what you don't want is situations you're building tall office blocks. Yeah. Uh, and then everybody is emptying out of them at five o'clock and, and going out to satellite towns and suburbs. You know, that doesn't really solve any of our problems. So you have to be careful about how you do it. Uh, and you have to be mindful of what your assets are as a city too. Like our assets in Limerick are the Shannon River for one. Uh, but our heritage, which is actually quite unique, you know, our built heritage, we have a medieval city. And then uh, we have the Georgian city, which was built post Treaty of Limerick. Um it would be madness to undervalue that. You know, people come to Limerick and, and they, they're really impressed, you know. You, so, you were talking about embracing the river there. Mm-hmm. Um, one side of the river actually has a nice couple of apartment blocks along the river. Yeah. So on the, you just came from Callaghan Strand. Yeah. So across there, it's, it looks yeah. lovely. There's a nice couple of, uh-huh. on this side, there just doesn't seem to be too much happening on the riverfront. Um, you, well, you do have Steamboat Quay, um, you have an active dock at the moment, so th- th- it's a longer term question about what happens there. Um, you have the proposed Bishop's Quay development. There's some, I think there were 40 apartments planned for that, uh, um, and a lot of offices, you know, so I- I'd like to see a shift, you know, uh, back towards the residential there. Um, you've got good apartment developments in the last... 15 years and you know harvey's key bridgewater um carlton apartments and henry street so we are slowly getting there you know um we could probably do a lot more yeah yeah slowly isn't what's needed though is it <laughs> it's not but it's better to get it right then. it's better to get it right yeah um the, the there's a the economic side of this too right so like developers have to want to to build these yeah you know there's only so much the uh, the the state can do to encourage them and um uh probably the conditions in Nimerick aren't right at the moment you know and it's uh, it's partly because in Limerick the versus other Irish cities the cost of living is actually quite low you know i know you know rents and house prices have gone up significantly in Limerick in the last few years, but the, that's from a very low base, you know, so they probably haven't increased to the point where it's, uh, makes sense for developers, yeah. you know, to build apartment blocks in the city centre at least, you know. So, um, you started with St. Michael, St. Michael's Rowan Club in 1995. Yes. So you've been looking at the city from the river for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How has yeah. you changed since then? It has a lot, yeah. Um, most of what we see on the riverfront there, on the, the south side, Har- Howley's Key, Harvey's Key, Bishop's Key, Steamo Key, like, that's completely changed in the last 20 to 25 years, you know. Um, and uh, then you have the boardwalk there as well. Uh, you have O'Callaghan Strand and Clancy Strand, the public groundwork there about 10 years ago was really fantastic. It made those places uh, very desirable, both to live in, but also to, to spend time in. They've become a leisure amenity, you know. Uh, hundreds of people daily walk around, you know, Clancy Strand, O'Callaghan Strand and cross over to the Keys and, you know, over by Arthur's Key Park. And, um, so we've been, we've done a lot right, you know. There's mm-hmm. no question about that, and we can we can just do a little bit more, I think, to to 
embrace what we have uh, in the Shannon River. And um, uh, like there are proposals for bridges, more bridges across it. I'm not sure if they're the right thing, but um, it's good that we're talking about it seriously. You know, there has, uh, I think in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a decision made that Limerick would just reorientate itself towards the river. And it's happened and it's been a good thing. And uh, would you be optimistic about the future of Limerick City development? Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. I think we're very well placed to to be a, you know, medium-sized competitive European city. I think we have to look at ourselves in the European context rather than the national one. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we're geographically very well placed uh, in that we're, uh, you know, near Galway and Cork. We've got very good infrastructure. Uh, there's road infrastructure, obviously. There's the seaport or Shannon Airport. And um, and we haven't made a lot of the mistakes that uh, places like Galway have made. You know, we have a real opportunity to get, get things right here. Uh, so Galway in the last 20, 30 years just sprawled outwards in this very unplanned way. And now it's clogged with traffic. And it's, you know, it, you know, to reverse that or to fix its problems, you know, is very, very difficult. Limerick hasn't made those same mistakes. So and, although uh, it can be frustrating to see something develop slowly, you think, I think in the so. end it's a positive? Incremental uh, change is, is positive, notwithstanding, the, you know, the crisis that we have as a society, but we just have to be pushing in the right direction, you know. Uh, I'd be concerned about certain things that are proposed in Limerick. Uh, the Northern Distributor Road, I think, is, uh, you know, that's from, you know, an environmental, an economic, a social point of view. It makes very little sense to me, you know. What that will lead to is low-density urban sprawl, mm-hmm. which is the mistake that Galway made. We don't want to be, you know, in Limerick in 20 or 30 years and wondering why we're stuck in traffic for an hour, uh, you know, trying to get around the place, you know. And um, uh, so... We, I, I think you know we, we need to revisit that and uh, and especially in light of uh, the this pressing issue of climate change you know building infrastructure that leads to increased emissions which that invariably will uh, you know isn't very sensible so Brian I think that's everything we have to chat about okay <laughs> thanks very much thanks for joining us uh, uh, where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing apart from in the local newspapers as a politician yeah um, uh, so I you know i'm on social media uh, i i tend not to get too much time to engage with it but um uh, i'm putting out a newsletter so it'll, it'll be a kind of periodic newsletter uh, just to say what i'm getting up to and um uh and then it's down to you guys to report <laughs> what we're doing you know so which you do very very capably thanks very much thanks again <laughs> right. right. cheers thank you You've been listening to the We Are Limerick podcast. For more podcasts, visit limerickpost.ie forward slash podcasts. And you can keep up to date with all Limerick news by following the hashtag keeping Limerick posted across all social media channels.